Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. Let's pray for him, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for Paul. I thank you for how he seeks your heart, for how he spends time with you, Lord. And I just pray this morning that we would absolutely receive with all our heart what it is it you want to say, what it is that he is speaking to us this morning. So just fill him by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Kat. Well, it's great to see familiar face this morning, some less familiar. I hope you felt welcome this morning. Uh, we're beginning to look at another, another topic within our scriptures this morning. We're going to start looking at prayer over the next six weeks. And this morning, um, I want to get into the idea of personal prayer a little bit just explore some basic principles and also just explore something that I've discovered with my personal prayer journey, which I hope will be helpful to you. But according to the Evangelical Alliance, prayer is important. Christians think it's important, which is good news, I think. 80% of people said it was important to pray every day. But 62% said that didn't happen. 60% said they mainly grabbed prayer on the move. And the most popular prayer, and I think many can relate to this, Lord, please help my family. That's an earnest prayer, I think, from many of us. So we're going to look a little bit this morning about some ideas around personal prayer, our prayer lives, and hopefully I can share some things which might be helpful. If you have a Bible this morning, if you'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 5 this morning. These are Jesus' words. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they stand, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard by their many words. Don't be like them. For the father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts and also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespass. So what are we going to say about this passage this morning? Obviously, there is a lot. And we could write almost sermons on every couple of words. There are people of past who have done that, I'm sure. This morning, just as I said before, I just want to point out a couple of obvious reference points, if that makes sense, and then point towards a couple of practical things when it comes to talking about personal prayer and when it comes to doing personal prayer. 
And over these next few weeks, we're going to explore the idea of prayer. We've got an opportunity to pray corporately together. You'll be invited to participate in corporate prayer as a prayer week we're going to hold later on in March and all sorts of other bits and pieces. But this morning, we're starting off simple and personal. So I think we can read from this passage or we can pull from this passage the idea that Jesus is saying we need a strong personal prayer life. And corporate praise is amazing and popular and fantastic and gathered prayer and corporate prayer is fantastic. But there is a place and there is a priority for each one of us on secret, personal private prayer and Jesus is concerned about it in fact he actually says I don't want people who just do one and not the other public prayer is not enough there's got to be a private prayer life and when looking at this passage actually the Greek is helpful here the Greek word for room gives us an indication it's not just a room but the idea of the room that he's talking about which is I think is helpful because the room suggested is the room in the centre of an ancient house, perhaps with no window, a bit like my grand's old larder used to be, I think, in one sense, in the middle of her old house. No windows, no distractions, apart from a few drived goods. Quiet, still. And he says, go into that place. Go into that place and Pray. And it's interesting because I guess in the one sense you can tell a lot about the motivation for prayer by going to that place. Nobody sees whether you're doing it or not. Nobody can hear. It's not in the midst of doing things. And Jesus says, do that so you can't be seen. Do it regularly. Encourage this. See, there's peer pressure, isn't there, to a corporate prayer life. On a Sunday morning, the, might, the person next to you might be quite vigorous with their, with their prayers, and so you feel you get caught up with it. And that's great. That's encouragement, right? That's what we should do. How much encouragement do you get to be private with your prayers, I wonder? Hopefully this is some this morning. And there are group prayers and prayer walks and prayer in your small groups and we're going to encourage you to do all sorts of different things in prayer but this morning we're just talking about this idea of this private prayer and I for one and I think there might be a few other people in this room know that this isn't that easy some of you might be gifted that this is this is your thing but for many of us this is hard A great priest and writer, Henri Nguyen, he writes this, and I think this is really helpful. For most of us, it's very hard to spend half an hour with God. It's hard precisely because facing God alone, we also come face to face with our own inner chaos. We come in direct confrontation with our restlessness and our anxieties and our resentments, unresolved tensions, hidden animosities, long-standing frustrations. And our spontaneous reaction to all of this is to run away and get busy again and leave it for another day. Our minds, often I find in that time, can accelerate past us if we're not careful. 
It's hard to bring those things to a moment of stillness. James K. Smith, in in his book, You Are What You Love, he goes even deeper and he pushes a bit harder on this subject and he says, you know, your religion is what you do with your solitude. What he means is, when you're totally alone, when you don't have to think about anything, what do you think about? Do you worry about money? Do you fantasize about that house that you wish you could get? Where does your mind go? Where does your imagination go? Is it to adoration of God in prayer? And what Smith is trying to say is, what is it you effortlessly think about in those quiet moments? Well, secret prayer is crucial to this because it helps cultivate in us something else that actually can quiet some of these things and help us manage and work through some of these things. What Smith is actually saying is a crucial index of whether you love the Lord, like perhaps we say we love the Lord, is how we conduct ourselves out of public view. And it actually puts a reflection on whether we love him or actually we just use him. So I think Jesus is really hot on this. He's, he is keen for this. We see as we read the Gospels, he's a regular, he regularly activates this by going and being alone and praying. And there's many, many things I could say about this, many, many ways and techniques and ideas. And you've probably heard, if you've been around the church any length of time, a number of them. And there are lots of really fantastic ways of gathering prayer and, and being alone with the Lord and various other things. But I'd like to just, this morning, just give you maybe a, a help with one idea. A little practical idea that I've actually had to learn in earnest over these last five years, I think. As I lead a church, these has been really helpful to me. As a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as a son of God. So, The idea is this, there is an active and a passive rhythm to personal prayer. And I'm going to be talking about petitionary prayer, the idea of asking God for things. The idea of coming before the Lord with our stuff. I'm not going to talk to you particularly about adoration or repentance. Those things are crucial and important and we'll talk about those things in other times. But I want you to think about this this morning. There might be a rhythm, a helpful rhythm to your prayer life, which, hey, I've not come up with myself. This is Eugene Peterson's work in many respects. There's a small book he wrote called Answering God. It's about praying through the Psalms. It's a well-known, actually, he's written lots of well-known books. This one isn't well-known. I'm not even sure if it's in print anymore, but it's really worth getting if you can find a copy. And he talks about this idea that in the early stages of the Psalter, when you get into Psalm 4 and Psalm 5, Well, Psalm 4 is an evening prayer and Psalm 5 is a morning prayer. Not morning, then evening. Evening and then morning. That's how the order comes in this idea. And there's this rhythm that I think I found really helpful in my prayer life and has 
We pray on a personal level. Evening prayer, this kind of passive petitionary. And morning prayer, this active petitionary. Actually, you even see it in the Lord's Prayer. The first, if you like, the first section of it is this giving to the Lord. And the second section is this active petitionary. We'll come on to that maybe in a minute. We'll see how we get on. But let me show you what I mean. Psalm 4. At the heart of this prayer, there is rest. At the heart of this prayer, there is rest. And I don't know about you, but I'm not the best at resting. Sure, I can sit around on the sofa and idly like the best of them. My wife will tell you I can suck, be sucked into sport on the telly like the best of them and do nothing. But we're not talking about that kind of rest. We're talking about heart rest, soul rest. And you need it. And the psalmist really thinks we need it. You know, there is a lot of anxiety in the world. And a lot of you live very busy lives. And sleep is a challenge. But okay, if you're physically tired, then often it's easy to lay your body down to rest. But what about your heart? What about your soul rest? Can you find rest for your soul? Do you have rest in that place? Let's read Psalm 4. I'm just going to paraphrase this slightly, but... It's out of actually the Revised Standard Version this morning just because there's a couple of things I think it helpfully points out. But when you are disturbed, do not sin. Ponder it on your beds. Be silent. Offer right sacrifices. Put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, oh, that we might see some good. Let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart. More than their grain and wine abound, I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, alone, O Lord, make me lie down in safety. Now the point of this psalm is, in one sense, is to go to bed and sleep. Great. That's the right thing to do in bed. That's the right thing to do. And it's hard to lay down sometimes and sleep. But the idea here is that actually we can put our souls to rest. Despite all the things that are happening in the world, despite all the things that are happening in our lives, and in one sense, this psalm helps us almost pray ourselves out of worry or anxiety and puts our souls to rest. And I found, and I think he's right, 10, 15 minutes of doing this in the evening. Well, there's been a measure. Now I'm not saying I'm past it, and my wife will tell you, at three o'clock I might wake up again, and five o'clock and six o'clock. But I've got into a discipline of giving it back in this way. To say, Lord, Lord, I need this, but actually right now, I'm going to trust that you can handle it, that you have this, and I'm going to put it into your hands. I give this to you, Lord. I'm concerned about it. Please take care of it. It's helpful. 
to meditate on the idea that God is bigger than our circumstance and he understands us and he's got it. In those moments, it's helpful. And ultimately, he says, David says, the light of your face is on us, i.e., the light of God's countenance. He has looked upon you with favor. He is for you. He sees you. He is with you. Should bring you a measure of peace. That the God of the universe sees you. He knows your situation. He knows who you are. The privilege of gospel assurance, of his love, of his grace, of his friendship. It's real. It's real. It's a remarkably powerful statement. We need to talk to our mind and our hearts and declare these words over us as we attempt to rest. We have access to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We have fellowship with him. And so the psalmist writes, my heart can be filled with joy. And actually this grain and this wine, this harvest, the things that I need, the things that actually provide the sustenance of life, the things that actually will help me get through. He has it in hand. I would like to have new grain and new wine. And I'm worried about the harvest. But I've got your face. I've got the light of your countenance and therefore, I'll be okay. I'm worried about money, I'm worried about the harvest, but ultimately I've got you. Now this is the essence of evening prayer. If when you pray for things, you don't find the burden lifting off you, then you need to ask, well, are these things idols? And that's a whole other subject. Of course, God may not answer, and we'll talk about this a bit more, your prayers in the way that you think he should. I love this Tim Keller paraphrase of Romans 8.28. God will always give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. Just let that sink in for a moment. God would always give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. But we can be assured of this, that the bad things will turn out for good. Paul understood that. Our good things will never fade away. And the best is yet to come. As an old friend once said. So do you know that kind of evening prayer? Do you know how to put your soul down to rest as well as your body? So that's Psalm 4. And then there's Psalm 5. And this is quite a contrast, although if you're not careful, you don't see the subtleties difference here. But let's just read a few things of this. Again, I'm paraphrasing from part of the middle. Give ears to my word, O Lord. Give heed to my sighing. Listen to the sound of my cry, my King, my God. For it's to you I pray. 
Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I plead my case to you and watch. There is a different tone. You get that? It's got a different feel to it. At night, you put your heart at rest. In the morning, you go after the world. And prayer is almost a rebellion to the spiritual, to the status quo. It's a kind of active petition. Spontaneous, it's a discipline, yes. But this has really helped me. Give ear to my words, O Lord. And in this RSV, it says this. O Lord, give heed my sighing. I like that word, sighing. Listen carefully, Peterson says, to your sighs. What are you sighing about at the moment? What is it that makes your shoulders go... Everything you sigh about should be turned into a prayer. Or we're going to be frustrated, I think. Conversely, if you can't pray for it, then don't sigh about it. If you can't ask God for it, don't sigh about it. I'm learning to do that. You just need to take yourself in hand. (laughs) Someone says to me, take yourself in hand. Mm, Not easy. You find the deepest sides of your heart. And you turn it to prayer. Give ear to my sighs, he says. And then, this is interesting phrase, and wait. And it's almost like there's an expectation then that actually God might do something about that. And in that day, from that morning point, you're looking at that point then for God to do something. There's an expectancy that the psalmist says that actually should be resting in our hearts that says, I've given this to you, Lord. Let me see the fruit. Come on. Are you expecting in the morning that God might be in your day? That he might be about the business of your day with you? Wow. Wow. Give ear to my sight. Now, I don't know why David did this, but I think human nature is the same, has been for hundreds of years. But I think this is a really helpful pattern here. And then David goes on and says this word, which I think is really important. You will answer me because of my righteousness. And we say, well, okay, well, David, maybe David felt that way, but... I'm not sure I can pray like that. I think sometimes our prayers are like this. I know I'm rubbish, Lord, but could you do me a favor and help me out on this thing? Maybe even subconsciously, that's how we're praying sometimes. But David doesn't approach it like that. David says... Because of my righteousness, I stand before you, Lord, with expectation. You are going to hear me and I am going to see your hand at work. But we're not David, right? No, you're not David. 
And actually, if we were to maybe reflect on David's righteousness, well, that's a topic for discussion, right? That you have been made righteous. And here is how you come with greater expectancy than David did. This is how we know God will answer us when we call. Because one day, one terrible day, God didn't answer Jesus when he called. The reason we know that God will answer our prayers. He may not give us what we want, not exactly what we want, but he will give us whatever we would ask or if we knew everything he knew. You must remember that. The reason we know that God will answer our prayers is because one ultimately giant, cosmic, unanswered prayer, Jesus let this cap pass from me. Jesus called out to God, but he was forsaken. Jesus suffered the rejection. And in those moments, he took upon the, all the rejection that we should receive. Why should God listen to us? You and I. But in Christ. Well, we deserve to be forsaken. We deserve to have our pressure. But because he is a righteous God, he will do the right thing. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are righteous before him and he will answer. He will answer. And so morning prayers can be expectant. We can be. So my encouragement this morning really is to give it a try. Perhaps, you're, perhaps you've got this nailed, but if you haven't, then this is just a little idea to help you along the way, I guess in one sense. And if you've only got 30 minutes a day to pray, give a third of them at night and two thirds of them in the morning. That's a ratio that I'm working on. A third to rest two-thirds to petition the Lord to raise my expectation and to see what he can do at night we do this passive petitionary thing we pray things into God's hands so that we can sleep remembering that we've got all the things that are really important the light of his face is upon us he has made us righteous we will be okay he is our father. He knows best. We are his children. He is going to give us what we need. And in the day, we actively, we storm the heavens. We rebel against the status quo. Now, there are other prayers that need to accompany these things. Repentance, adoration, and other bits and pieces. And we'll talk about them over the coming weeks. But if you're struggling with rest this evening, or this morning, I should say, you're going to struggle with rest this evening, then let me encourage you just to maybe give this a try. 
And let's remember that the basic assurance of petitionary prayer is this. We get the prayer reception he deserved. But because he was rejected, that's how and that's why. So we have a table before us this morning. We have communion. We're going to bring ourselves to the Lord, to the cross, to that that sacrifice. And I, I want to encourage you to do a couple of things this morning. Maybe we can bring some stuff to the Lord and lay at this table again in a passive way. And if that's you, you need rest for the soul, then I encourage you to do that in these moments this morning. But if, if you've got stuff that you're contending with, then bring that to the table this morning as well. A sacrifice is enough. He will hear, he will listen. Perhaps you put it away because, do you know what? It's hard. Well, God's there and he's waiting for you to talk again. Let's pray. Father, this table before us is about you and your desire to meet our deepest need. To bring us into right relationship with you. To pull us into your family once again. That we are sons and daughters of the living God. That is the promise of this table. And so, Father, as your sons and daughters this morning, we bring before you our petitions, knowing that you hear, knowing that you are more than able, but also understanding, Lord, that you see much more than we do. So we bring to you the things of our heart. We lay them at this table and we say we trust you, Lord. We trust you. You are trustworthy. And we'd ask that by your spirit we might hear your voice in these days. Lead us, comfort us, counsel us. Draw us to yourself. And Father, as we work with you, maybe while you find your power at work and your rest for our souls. Time. And I pray that you be blessed. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.